But hey, it's a real, real pleasure to be here, and I want to speak this morning to the subject that you guys are launching into, um, called His Story, My Story. And I think it's going to come up on the screen. His story or history, which is kind of God's story, and um, how our story connects with His story, I think is really significant. And I know you're going to be hearing some, some stories from people, their journey with God in the coming weeks. Uh, but, you know, for me, when I read the Bible, I feel like I fit in. I don't know about you, but um, the more you read through this amazing book, the more you realize it is full of people who are just going about life, trying to kind of make the best of it, finding themselves in really difficult situations, getting to the end of themselves and thinking, man, I need some help. And then God steps in and does something amazing for them. And uh, as I read that, I think, man, I, I could fit in with that. Have you ever felt like, you know, I've got some hopes and some dreams and some things that I'm shooting for, and so you launch out and you have a go, and maybe it doesn't go quite as well as you thought. You find yourself stuck, and you're like, man, I could really do with some help. Do I have any friends here that have had that experience? Just me? All right. Uh, one or two. And um, so the thing is that that is the place right there where God meets us. And if you feel that way, if you feel that way this morning, you feel like, man, I, just, I don't know if I've got what it takes to push through what's in front of me, you are in really good company. You fit in well with God's story, with his story, and, um, and I want to unpack a little bit of how our story connects with that. And, uh, but I want to touch on this thought for starters. When we think of God's story, think of the story of history, there's really this overarching theme that we see playing out. And I want to kind of summarize it this way. It's creation, fall, and redemption. Creation, fall, and redemption. See, in the beginning, the Bible says, Genesis 1 verse 1, first book in the Bible, first verse in the Bible, says God created the heavens and the earth. And so right there, God created the place where you were born, uh, the place where you live, but also the place that you'll live for eternity if you're a follower of Jesus. We've just done this series on heaven in our church, and I'm just blown away at the wonder of what God has in store for us for eternity. But we see this picture, God created he created us to live in relationship with him, but then came the fall, right? And we can think, well, that's just, you know, the first people, Adam and Eve, you know, and they fell and they were deceived by the devil and, and, and fell away from God. And we've had to kind of live with the ramifications of that. But actually, Romans 3 verse 23 in the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen. That includes you and I. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it goes on to say. And so we see this fact that we, because of our sin, are separated from relationship with God. There's this disconnect that happens. We're cut off, really, from his presence because of our sin. But then comes the incredible story of redemption, right? I know you probably know the verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And so we see this heart from God to restore how he brings us back out of that place, of that fallen place, into relationship with him. Who's thankful for that? If you're watching online and you're thankful for that, just say, thank you, Lord, uh, for redemption. But I want to highlight the fact that this pattern seems to continue. First of all, it's about our salvation. 
First of all, it's about us restoring us to relationship. God created us for relationship. We fall, each of us do at some point along the way in the sin. Jesus came to redeem us and bring us into relationship with him. But then this pattern seems to play out because we were created for more uh, I want to put it this way, Jesus came to not just save us from sin, but to empower us for purpose. He didn't just want us to get our ticket to heaven, to be forgiven and just kind of make it there, but he actually came to empower us for purpose. But what seems to happen along the way is that as we realize, man, I've come into a relationship with God, I've received his forgiveness and grace, we start to get a window into the fact that God has actually put us here for a purpose to make a difference. Man, I'm created for purpose. God wants to empower me for purpose, but then we run into our inadequacy. If I get any friends on that point, we realize we get to this point where we're like, man, I, I don't think I have what it takes. Man, I'm, and we fall into this place of insecurity, of uncertainty. And I want to say again, God wants to meet you right there because that is the place where he comes again to redeem us and step right into our weakness and bring his strength into the picture. And we see this play out time and time again. We read about the heroes of the faith and um, think about a few characters that you've read about in scripture. Think about the likes of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, You know, they were stepping into God's purpose for their life, but there was this fear and this anxiety and they were ducking and diving and and, uh, they, they, they had this this struggle to come to terms with what God had called them to. And we see this play out time and time again. Think of Moses. Moses is confronted with God's call to go and make a difference. And he's like, "Ah, ah, can you send someone else? Please, God, can you send someone else? We read right through Scripture. We think of people like even David. Think of uh, Joseph, who was thrown into a pit by his brothers, discarded by them, coming to terms with this call on on, on his life to, to lead and to make a difference in his world, go right through to the New Testament, to Jesus' followers, to Peter and James and John and all of the disciples. Peter himself denied Jesus. We think of Jeremiah the prophet. He was an incredible man, but right at the start, Jeremiah chapter one, um, God calls him to be a prophet to the nations, and he goes, I can't speak. I'm just a youth. At a young age, God called him in his inadequacy to go and to make a difference. And... um, I think Gideon is an amazing example of this. Who, who remembers Gideon? Who's, who's read about Gideon? I'm going to highlight the, um, Gideon's story in Judges chapter 7. We read a little bit, a little bit about Gideon. And he's a guy who, man, he, he lived in a pretty precarious time. Gideon was, uh, was in a, an environment where for about seven years, the Midianites had um, messed with the Israelites and, and would just keep in, coming in to, to mess with them, to, to rob them, to oppress them. And uh, they would go to all this work of, of uh, planting their crops and preparing the ground and trying to make life work. And then COVID would just kind of sweep in and mess with it all. I mean, the Midianites would just come in and, and mess with it all and would just throw them. And so Gideon is in fear of, of the Midianites. And, uh, and he, in the midst of this, it got so bad that they began to cry out to God. The Israelites began to cry out to God. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, that a big part of what was going on was because they hadn't cried out to God, because they hadn't been listening to God. God spoke to them by, through a prophet and basically said, 
all of this has gone on because you haven't been listening to me. And, and yet in the midst of all of that, God is incredibly merciful to them. And as they begin to cry out to him, God meets them. In fact, God comes to Gideon. In Judges 7, read about this. and God comes to Gideon and, and speaks to him through an angel, turns up on the scene, and um, I'm wrecking your microphone, mate. So shall I give you that little piece just dropped off? <laughs> um, there you go. So hopefully it's still working. <laughs> um, so uh, where were we? God speaks to Gideon through an angel, and he comes to him and he says these amazing words, Stand up, mighty warrior, and deliver Israel. Gideon is like, a little bit like Jeremiah we spoke about earlier, and like Moses. Gideon is like, but I'm the least in my family. And not only that, my family are the least in Israel. I can't do this. Have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt like, oh, I just... I just don't have, I don't have the gifts, I don't have the ability, I don't have the mana to do this. I don't, I don't have what it takes to do this. this. is exactly how Gideon felt. If you've ever felt that way, I want to say again, you're in good company. But I want to highlight this as well. God sees you differently to how you see yourself. God comes to Gideon in the midst of his insecurity and his inadequacy, and he says, stand up, mighty warrior, and deliver Israel. Whoa. Gideon's like... Is there another Gideon here somewhere? God looks at you and he sees you through the lens of how he's created you and the potential that he's placed within you and what your life can look like in partnership with him. That's how he sees you. And he calls us out of our inadequacy and our uncertainty and our fear and our anxiety. And he says to us, rise up, mighty warrior. Mighty warriors, is that the right way to put it? Rise up. Because when God steps into the situation, everything changes. And what I find amazing about Gideon is pretty quickly we discover that in the midst of all of this, Gideon decides to believe God. He decides to trust God and everything changes. Suddenly this guy who's so insecure starts to call the Israelites together and he pulls down, in fact, the all of the, the stuff that they've been putting up. He pulls, pulls down the, the idols and um, they've been sacrificing to false gods, and he, he destroys that stuff, and he calls the Israelites together, and he leads them in an incredible, miraculous victory over the Midianites who have been oppressing them for seven years. And it's crazy. Um, have you ever sort of seen the fact that sometimes God asks us to do things that seem kind of counterintuitive, or they don't seem to make sense? But if we know it's God, we want to follow through on it. That's what happened for Gideon. I mean, they started with about 32,000 fighting men. God whittled it all down. Long story. You should read the story if you haven't read it in Judges chapter 7. But he whittles it all down, them all down to 300 people. Sometimes in God's economy, less is more. He brings them right down to 300 people. And then there's about 120,000 Midianites. How are these guys going to defeat them? It's just, it's not possible, but with God... All things are possible. And God calls them to do some unusual things. He calls them to gather around the area where the Midianites were and to shout and to blow trumpets and to light torches. And um, somehow in the midst of that, God's power comes in and completely thwarts the Midianites and they see this incredible victory won that day. And uh, I want to say this, insurmountable odds are overcome 
when ordinary people trust God. That's what happened for Gideon. And in an amazing way, God wants to step into your world and my world. It might not look like it looked for Gideon, but in the same way he wants to meet us where we are in our inadequacy, in our uncertainty. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, we're not just saved from our sin, but he comes to empower us for purpose. And so God's created you and I to make a difference in the world, to, to, to impact the lives of others. And again, this series we've been doing about heaven, uh, sometimes we think, man, um, you know, why does God even leave us on the planet? Once we're saved and once we know him, he could just take us. Now he's left us here, not only to get to know him more and do the journey with him more, but also to have an influence with others, to make a difference with others. But again, so many of us feel in that moment where we realize that, man, how, how is this going to happen? How can I shift like Gideon from this place of uncertainty to a place of certainty, from insecurity to confidence. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked because um, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, I love this verse. In the NIV version of the Bible, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. Now, this isn't intellectual knowledge. This is speaking about our knowledge of Him as in getting to know Him. In fact, I love the way the message paraphrase puts this verse, I think it's going to come up on the screen, it says here, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. Can you just say that word for a minute, miraculously? Can you say miraculously? In other words, it's not our ability, it's not something we conjure up, it's not something that we craft, it's something miraculous that God does. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. By getting to know Jesus, in other words. It's somehow in this relationship that he invites us into that something miraculous happens. Something ignites on the inside of us. Something shifts on the inside of us. I want you to know today the simplicity of sitting with God with your Bible in hands, with a, with a heart open to him and interacting with him as you draw near to him. The Bible says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. As you simply draw near to him and open your heart to him, something miraculous happens on the inside. It's not something that you can conjure up in your own ability. It's not something we can just go, man, I'm just going to be strong. I'm just going to, you know, I've got it all going on. In fact, if we walk in and approach uh, God's call on our lives to make a difference with our lives from the perspective of, of just understanding our gifts and our abilities, and we walk in and go, hey, Pastor Ants, I've got it all going on. Uh, have you seen my gifts? Have you noticed how, how, how good I am at this and how good I am at that? I'm sorry to tell you it's not going to go well. The Bible actually tells us in Proverbs that a man's pride brings him low, but humility comes before honor. God calls us actually to recognize our need of him. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that really mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who recognize their need of God. Because God meets us in that place when we recognize our need of him. 
I think about some of my own journey. You know, I was um, brought up in, in Hawke's Bay, born in Napier. Anyone from Napier? Probably not. Um, and, um, and then we moved to Wellington and, and, long story short, ended up in Cambridge a few years back. But I remember my early years living with such insecurity. And uh, it's like, it was like a weight on top of me, this insecurity on me. And, um, and then it flipped into anger. If you know much about the dynamics of what can happen when people live with insecurity, if you push into that corner, then anger can come out. And, and that was part of the dynamics of what I faced. But when I was 19 years old, um, I had an encounter with God. God touched my life. Walking home one night on the way home from a party, uh, in, in Wellington, and God just touched my life, and from that moment on, I just d- developed this incredible passion to live for God, to know Him more, and um, somehow on the journey, there was something was ignited in me, just a, a, such a desire to make a difference, to reach others with the gospel, and I ended up getting involved in church life and, and in ministry, ended up becoming a youth pastor and getting involved in church leadership, uh, but along the way, you know, some challenges happened in my world, and my, my wider family, there was some some difficult things that happened. There was some brokenness there. And I found along the way, even serving God in ministry, that the pressure came on me. And I found this insecurity and this anger and, and other, other problematic areas to me just rising to the surface again. And I found myself in this place where, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can hold it together. I don't know if I can hold these relationships together. And, and I, I was faced and confronted with a decision. What do I do? Do I quit or do I dig deeper? Do I walk away or do I dig deeper with God? And I'm here to tell you today that when you dig deeper with God, he meets you right there. When you come before God in your weakness, in your inadequacy, he meets you with his strength and everything begins to change. For me, so much of that journey was just, as I mentioned before, was, was doing this, sitting with God, open-hearted to God, saying, God, I know you have the answers. I know you have the power that I need, the grace that I need, the capacity that I need. I know I don't have it, but I see in your word and I see in history and I see in how you've worked in the lives of other people that you can do this, you can change me. God, would you change me? Day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, that's been a big part of my journey. And I've got to tell you, something shifts on the inside when you determine to not rely on your strength, on your capacity, but to look to him and his strength and his capacity. Um, it's huge. The Apostle Paul said in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 to 10, these amazing words. Uh, he, he speaks about, in fact, a, a thorn in his flesh that he had. And we don't really know exactly what it was. People theorize about what this was. But uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about this thorn in the flesh, which could have been a physical ailment. It could have been a personality challenge that he was having. It could have been persecution from others. Whatever it was, he was grappling with this area of weakness in his life. And he says in, in 2 Corinthians 12 from verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I've got to say that again. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, these are crazy words to me, but he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Have you heard someone boasting about their weakness lately? Man, I'm so weak. It's just great. (laughs) 
Paul says, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that, catch the so that, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Remember, humility comes before honor. Pride comes before trouble, to put it one way. But he says, I boast in my weakness. In other words, I see my inadequacy and instead of seeing it as a negative, I actually see it as a positive because when I'm weak, he goes on to say, this is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Sounds counterintuitive, but sometimes it's God's way. Sometimes your greatest strength is your weakness. But your willingness in the midst of your weakness to come before God and say, God, I give you my weakness. I sit before you with my weakness and I invite you to add your strength. And in that place of humility, that place sometimes of brokenness, I want to say God will meet you. God will meet you right there. It's like the setback becomes a setup to meet God. Your worst setback, if you see it right, is a setup to meet God, to come before Him and experience Him. I so want to encourage you today. Those watching in the room, those watching online, God sees you. God sees exactly what's going on in your world right now. He sees those areas in your life where you don't want to open up to anyone else because it's a little scary. (laughs) But he wants to meet you right there. And he wants to add his strength to your weakness. Do you know, I I can stand here and try to be strong and go, man, I've got it all going on. And my strength might take me to, say, this level. Or I can come in humility before God and say, God, actually, I'm pretty weak. I can only hit it about here but would you add your strength? God's strength added to my weakness is gonna take me way beyond, way beyond anything I could do in my own strength. And somehow in the midst of this, this is where your story begins to connect with God's story. God's greatest story where he creates, but then comes a fall, but then comes redemption. And this plays out time and time again as we've seen through the heroes of faith as they face these impossible situations, but they come with humility before God and are willing like Gideon to say, yes, God, even in my inadequacy, I'll believe you, I will trust you. God meets him and suddenly hope is ignited in his heart. And he realizes, man, with God, anything is possible. Something shifts on the inside of us and you begin to have a story to tell. You begin to be able to go to others and say, man, it's been rough. It's been tough. But you know what? God met me in the midst of it. God met me right in the middle of it. And he shifted my my weakness to strength. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, where we read about the heroes of the faith, there's one line in there I love. It says, their weakness was turned to strength. And we begin then to be able to say to others, God is so good. We begin to speak about the goodness of God to others. And your story becomes the window through which you get to tell God's story to others and reach out to others. And I want to bring this to a close this morning by reading Romans chapter 15, verse 13. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says, May the God of hope 
I don't know if you feel hopeless this morning, if you felt hopeless, but there's a lot of people in our world that feel pretty hopeless. Where do we find hope? Where do we find this? Uh, it's just, hope is described as this confident expectation of good. That we can look at the future in spite of everything going on and go, you know what? The best days are ahead, not behind. Because we believe that God is good and he has good things in store. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You may be filled with anxiety or fear or insecurity, but he comes to fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. That's the key right there. Gideon trusted God and everything changed. Will you trust him today? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the overflowing of hope that enables us, even out of our weakness and our brokenness, to meet God and then get the the incredible privilege of pouring into the lives of others and passing on hope to others. I've had the privilege on my journey of being able to help other people, to be able to encourage other people and pray for other people, sometimes in counseling sessions, sometimes just sharing with a friend. And I'm amazed how time and time again, I'm not drawing from my strengths. I'm drawing from my brokenness. And time and time again, as I'm sitting with a couple who are struggling in their marriage, I get to say, you know, I know what that feels like, but God meets you and shifts everything if you come before him, because I know that that's true. As someone's grappling with whatever it is on their journey, I keep drawing from my greatest mistakes and my greatest times of weakness and brokenness where I came before God and he met me there. So I know he's faithful and I get to pass that on. And my story, again, becomes the window through which I can share his story. He wants to do the same for all of us.